right. Good morning. So Kevin mentioned we're going to be in 2 Kings today. Uh, before we get into it, though, I, have you ever, have you ever uh, left early only to find out that you missed something really good? You know what I'm talking about? Like, I remember uh, there was this one football game. I used to be super into football, still a little bit, but, but uh, this Colts-Buccaneers game, some of you already know what I'm talking about. This was a long time ago, 17 years ago. But uh, the Colts were down by 21 points with six minutes left in the game against the number one defense in the league. And I, I'm just like, all right, heck with it, I'm going to bed. My wife's like, you made me sit through this whole stupid thing. You are going to finish this game. I'm like, oh, fine. And then uh, those of you that know, you know, this, it's the greatest comeback in NFL history. They came back from 21 down, end up winning the game. Um, and, you know, so I'm glad I saw that one. <laughs> but there's some other things, that, you know, that I've, I've uh, kind of dropped out early, you know, and then regretted it. Regretted, you know, that I missed out on something good. But, but the, you know, the flip side of that, there's those things where, man, I really wish I could quit. But then you push through and you find out, well, it was, it was worth it. Like, you know, those uh, Christmas Eve nights where you're putting together the toy for your kid that you just want to murder or whatever engineer put these instructions together you know what i'm talking about by the way young parents don't buy anything from barbie that has to be assembled just so you know it will save you a lot of grief but then you know the next morning it's it's kind of worth it you know when you see the look on their faces so we're going to look at a uh, someone who who pushed through rather than giving up and see how that worked out for him but so we're in second kings and really, you know, we've been in the book of 1 Kings for quite some time. In the Hebrew Bible, there really was, there was no 2 Kings. It was all just one book. Uh, but they put this division in there for us. So, so really, there's no break other than a chapter heading that they put in there. Uh, but we're going to, before we get into it, we'll ask the Lord to help us understand it and go to him in prayer. So, Lord, we thank you so much this morning for allowing us to be here to uh, worship and fellowship and to Read your holy word. God, we just pray that you would cleanse us, open the eyes of our hearts to see the truth of who you are and who we can be in you. Lord, we've, uh, we've moved away from you rather than toward you on many opportunities, Lord. And we just pray that we would be drawn closer to you today. Would show us who you are your word. We pray this in your name. Amen. Okay, so 2 Kings chapter 1, verse 1. It says, Now Moab rebelled against Israel after the death of Ahab. So, you know, the last month and a half or so, we've been looking at Ahab and Jezebel and Elijah, them going back and forth. Last week we saw Ahab's reign came to an end. And, uh, and right after his death, immediately there's trouble. Now, Ahab's dad, Omri, had actually brought the Moabites under subjection to Israel. Uh, and archaeology has borne that out. They found the Moabite stone, and sure enough, it listed that you know, these things happened. And it helps us kind of put a timeline on when these things happened. 
But after seeing Ahab uh, fall to the Syrians, the Moabites, they're kind of emboldened, and they're like, hey, let's, this is a good time to, to rebel, uh, because uh, there's a new king, Ahaziah, we'll test him out, right? Verse 2, it says, And Ahaziah fell through the lattice in his upper chamber, which was in Samaria. Okay, so most of the homes back at that time were one story, and you kind of hung out on the roof. That was sort of your family room or your deck or whatever. Uh, so he's in his palace. He had, you know, taller, taller buildings, and he had some lattice that would connect between the different towers and whatnot, and apparently he fell through. Um, says he, uh, yeah, fell through the lattice in the upper chamber, which is in Samaria, and became ill. So he sent messengers and said to them, Go inquire of Baalzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I will recover from this sickness. That, na- that name may sound familiar to you, right? Baalzebub, it's, it's the lord of the flies, is what that, that means. Ekron was this warm, moist area and had a problem with flies, and so they, they kind of began to worship a false god that uh, was reported to have healing properties, but also could drive flies away, so that was helpful, I guess. Over time, the Israelites, though, they changed the, the way they pronounced it because they, you know, they had a dis, distaste for false gods, and uh, they changed it to Beelzebub. And over time, it became kind of understood that this was just another name for Satan. Right? So this is the, the devil. And so, <laughs> so he inquires of the devil, basically, whether I will recover from this. Now, there's a story that happens in the New Testament. We're not going to spend a bunch of time on this, but in Matthew 12, verse 22, we see a mention of this, and maybe this makes a little more sense now. It says, Then a demon, uh, demon-possessed man who was blind and mute was brought to Jesus, and he healed him so that the mute man spoke and saw. And all the crowds were amazed and were saying, This man cannot be the son of David, can he? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, this man casts out demons only by Beelzebul, another variation of that name, the ruler of the demons. So when they saw Jesus healing people, they assumed he was working for the devil, right? And the same devil that Ahaziah is inquiring about or inquiring to, this is who he, when trouble comes, this is who he turns to. So we go back to Second Kings Chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Go inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I will recover from this sickness. So you notice he doesn't say, go petition him that he would heal me. He says, just go ask him whether I will recover. What he's doing, he wasn't so much asking for healing as he was asking to know about the future. Right? We all want to know what the future holds. You've got to be careful, though, where you where you go for your answers. See, who and what you turn to in times of trouble is your God. That's why the Bible over and over warns us to, to flee from idols, to resist idolatry, because it's the sin we're most prone to. So whoever and whatever you seek comfort from in times of trouble, that's your God. And for him, it was definitely a false god. 
This is something that, you know, the Bible warns us about over and over. But in Deuteronomy chapter 19, it's very explicit about being careful where we seek answers from. It says, uh, Deuteronomy 19 verse 10, it says, uh, There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire, uh, one who uses divination, one who practices witchcraft, one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer. Now this one's kind of funny because this word sorcery, actually means pharmaceuticals, right? A sorcerer was someone who created potions or drugs to deal with the situation. So, you know, do you turn to drugs when you, you're uh, in times of trouble? Or one who casts a spell or a medium or a spiritist? One who calls up the dead? For whoever does these things is detestable to the Lord. God thinks it's gross, basically. And so, Paul lets us know in 1 Corinthians 10 that, that false gods are actually demons, right? That's, they're trying to get worship away from God in any way they can. So, uh, the, you know, this, the point of this message is not to warn you about don't read your horoscope or whatever, although definitely don't base your life decisions around the horoscope. But just be careful where it is you're seeking comfort, seeking knowledge, seeking guidance. Because it's a, it's a slippery slope. Because, you know, I, I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds my future. Right? And, and no answers are ever going to be enough that come from anything other than him. So we'll go back to Second Kings, though. So we see, we see what kind of man Ahaziah is, right? He, he's, uh, he's just trying to get his fortune told, basically. So Second Kings 1, verse 3. It says, but the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, there's Elijah, there's our guy again, arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and say to them, is it because there is no God in Israel that you're going to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? Now therefore, thus says the Lord, you shall not come down from the bed where you have gone up, but you shall surely die. Then Elijah departed. So he meets these mes- messengers on their way to Ekron, gives them this message. They turn around, they go back to the king, tell him what, you know, what, he, was, uh, what he told them. The king's a little bit ticked, to say the least. And so he sends troops out to capture Elijah. Right? He's going to make him pay for, for saying this. <laughs> That's right, yeah, right. Second Kings 1, verse 9. It says, the king sent to him a captain of 50 with his 50. And he went up to him, and behold, he was sitting at the top of a hill. And he said to him, O man of God, the king says, come down. (laughs) Think about that. O man of God, the king says, come down. Come do what he says. Verse 10, Elijah replied to the captain of 50, if I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. And then fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. It's a little, a little harsh. Calling down fire seems to be Elijah's thing, right? Remember, he, he brought down fire uh, when he dealt with the, all the false prophets. And, um, but what's funny, you know, is there was no reason, Elijah is an older man at this point, there's no reason to take 51 soldiers to capture one guy 
unless you believe he really is that powerful. In which case, why are you going to go try to capture him? Right? That seems like a bad move. When, when men were sent to arrest Jesus in the garden, it says that they, they brought a, um, a cohort, that's 600 men, to arrest this carpenter. Obviously, they thought he was something more than that, so if he is, why would you be trying to capture him? As a matter of fact, Jesus says, you don't, you're not taking me, I'm going voluntarily. I could call down 12,000 angels, and uh, if you've ever read about the type of destruction angels can, can bring. That was, uh, that was quite a boast. But, so after the first group of 50 are burned up, uh, Ahaziah hears about it, and he's like, okay, I'll send another 50, because the, the first time worked so well. And they get burned up, too. Uh, and finally, they send a third group, uh, third group, 2 Kings 1, verse 13. It says, so he again sent the captain of a third 50 with his 50. When the third captain of 50 went up, he came and bowed down on his knees before Elijah and begged him and said to him, O man of God, please let my life and the lives of these 50 servants of yours be precious in your sight. Behold, fire came down from heaven and consumed the first two captains of 50 with their 50s, but now let my life be precious in your sight. The angel of the Lord said to Elijah, Go down with him. Do not be afraid of him. And so he arose, and he went down with him to the king. Then he said to him, Thus says the Lord, Because you have sent messengers to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, is it because there is no god in Israel to inquire of his word? Uh, therefore you shall not come down from the bed where you've gone up, but shall surely die. And so Ahaziah died according to the word of the Lord, which Elijah had spoken. So this third captain at least is like, okay, this is not working well. And he, he humbles himself, and, and God, uh, you know, God always rewards that type of thing. But Ahaziah, basically, he chose death over seeking the Lord. Right? He, he would rather die than actually involve God in the decision-making of his life. Now, how many of us have made those same kind of mistakes. You know, if we all inquired of the word of the Lord for direction for our future, how different would things look? You know, if you talk to God about who to have a romantic relationship with, how different would, would life be? Or if you talk to God about how to spend your money or, or about who to trust, how different would things be? Right, so we maybe, maybe we don't consciously choose to consult with the devil like Ahaziah did. But we very often choose not to consult with God first. And we're just going to push on from there. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 1. It says, And it came about when the Lord was about to take up Elijah by a whirlwind to heaven that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. Now remember... We saw this, uh, it was a month or so ago, Elijah had called Elisha to, to come follow, come, come be his disciple, basically. Now, we, I mentioned that Moabite stone, that kind of gives us a timeline of, of how these things are working. So basically, it's been about six years since Elijah and Elisha have kind of formed their relationship. Verse 2, it says, Elijah 
said to Elisha, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Then the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he said, Yes, I know. Be still. Now, we're not really told how, but it becomes kind of common knowledge that Elijah, his ministry is coming to an end. I think probably Elijah is probably going around and saying his goodbyes, right? He's, he's going around and telling people, hey, I'm not going to be the main prophet anymore. And, and so they, they say something to Elisha, and they're like, did, did you know about this? And he's like, yeah, but just, just hold tight, you know. He's probably hoping he can talk him out of it or maybe change things. Verse 4, it says, Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. The second time he tries to get him to just stay behind. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The sons of the prophets who were at Jericho approached Elisha and said to him, do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he answered, yes, I know, be still. Then Elijah said to him, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. Maybe Elisha's just annoying, and Elijah's like, hey, just, how about you just stay behind? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. He sent me to the Jordan. He said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. So three times got, he has asked Elisha to, to stay behind. He's given him an out. He's given him a chance that, like, hey, you've been with me a long time. You don't have to go to this next thing. And it seems, if we, if we look at these cities, these places that he went, it seems like this weird, circuitous route that he's taking. But he's basically retracing the steps that Israel took when they entered into the promised land under Joshua. These are all kind of the, the first few places that they had their battles and confrontations and set up camp. And he's retracing those steps all the way back to the Jordan River, the river that Joshua split so they could walk across on dry land after he took over for Moses. 2 Kings 2, verse 7. It says, Now fifty men of the sons of the prophets went out and stood opposite them at a distance, while the two of them stood by the Jordan. Now these sons of the prophets, by the way, these are basically, these spots that Elijah has gone to, these are basically like, sort of like seminaries. These are prophets in training, right? And so 50 of them come out. They want to see what's about to happen, but they stand at a distance. In verse 8, it says, Elijah took his mantle and folded it together and struck the waters, and they were divided here and there so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. So he parts the waters again. This is a pretty significant miracle, right? Not just anybody gets to part the waters. But, you know, if, if Elisha had not kept walking with his master, he would have missed this. Right? Three different times he's given the opportunity that you've gone far enough. But he stays with him, and he actually gets to witness this. And what I've found to be true in the scripture and in my own life is that that blessing is is very often found just a few more steps past where you feel like giving up 
when you feel like quitting, it's just a little bit further is where the blessing is found. So they cross over, verse 9. It says, when they had crossed over, Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. A double portion. Now some people have, have kind of mistaken this, that they say, well, you know, he was asking to be twice as powerful or to be, do twice as much. And, uh, but all this meant, a double portion was what was awarded to the firstborn. Right? When, when uh, you were getting your inheritance, the firstborn got a double portion. So Elijah doesn't really have any wealth or anything to speak of. Uh, Elisha's asking basically to inherit Elijah's ministry. He's like, I want to be like your firstborn. I want to be like your son and carry on your name and your work. In verse 10, it says, he said, you have asked a hard thing. Because Elijah's ministry is not an easy, it's not an easy one, right? We, we like to... You joke around, we call him super prophet and all that stuff, you know, because he did some amazing stuff. We remember those, those flashy miracles and forget that most of that stuff happened during terrible times. When he was in fear for his life, when he was running for his life, when he felt like everyone hated him, you know. Uh, it wasn't just always a, a glorious ministry. He's like, you know, are you sure this is what you want? Because it's not always going to be, you know, ticker tape parades. But like I said, some people, they, they, they read this and they say, well, Elisha, he, he ended up doing twice as many miracles as Elijah, and he didn't. He did more, we're going to find out, but he didn't do twice as many. Uh, he also, the one thing that he did get double of is twice as many years of drought and famine. That's, that's the double part that Elisha for sure gets, you know. Thanks. I get to be the prophet during really bad times. Uh, so he says, he, uh, you have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. So in other words, Elijah's like, look, if it's not even really up to me, if God allows you to see what's about to happen, you know, if he calls you, then be sure to answer but it's, it's God's decision, not mine. Verse 11, it says, uh, So as they were going and talking, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire with horses of fire uh, and horses of fire, which separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind to heaven. And I like how there's like no real buildup there. It's just as they're walking... Behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire in a whirlwind. Elijah is taken up bodily into heaven in a whirlwind. And the, the, the chariots and the horses of fire were there, I think, more for Elisha's sake than Elijah. You know, just for so, because you can't really see a whirlwind so, so much. Uh, but he could see this. But, you know, Elijah had lived a life of fire, right? That fire was always involved in in uh, his miracles and in his preaching, and, and he's taken up, you know, his, he kind of exits the same way. Verse 12, it says, Elisha saw it and cried out, 
My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw Elijah no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. Like Hulk Hogan or whatever. But he says something interesting here, though. Right? He says, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. He's not actually referring to the chariot of fire and the horses of fire. He's calling Elijah the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. Now, it seems strange, but at the end of Elisha's life, someone else says this same thing over him in 2 Kings 13, verse 14. It says, when Elisha became sick with the illness of which he was to die... Joash, the king of Israel, came down to him and wept over him and said, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. See, Elijah and Elisha, they were both huge blessings to their nation, to everyone around them. They, you know, they were like a chariot and its horsemen. That's a form of protection. It's, it gives you confidence. And they provided that for the people in their lives. And you can have that same effect, right? You can be a huge blessing to your family and to your friends, even the people you work with. If you walk in obedience to the Lord, your faithfulness can be a source of comfort and, and security and protection. People, if nothing else, they're like, you know what? If I, if I tell Kevin this, he's not going to tell anybody because I know he's an honest man. I know how he lives. And Actually, Kevin will tell all your secrets, but I'm <laughs> No, I'm just teasing. But, you know, there's, there's, uh, there's comfort in seeing the faithful walk of someone, right? To, you, you know, all people fail us at some point, but you can have confidence in someone if you see how they walk. If they are walking in obedience to the Lord, uh, there's some confidence and protection there. Now, verse 13, it says, uh, 2 Kings 2, verse 13, it says, He also took up the mantle of Elijah that fell from him, and returned and stood by the bank of the Jordan. Now, he just saw this crazy thing, right? He's got his master's mantle. Now, I mentioned earlier, Elisha has been walking with Elijah for about six years. He's never performed a miracle, right? Verse 14, he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and struck the waters and said, Where's the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had also struck the waters, they were divided here and there, and Elisha crossed over. That's his first miracle. And I feel like he was probably a little, even though he had just seen, you know, pure evidence of God right in front of him, I feel like he still was a little nervous, right? This is the first time he's, there's no training wheels. And he calls on the God of Elijah to, to do this. And so the, the baton is officially passed. Elisha is now the main prophet of Israel. And we're going to find out a lot more about him. But Elijah's story isn't actually over. It's far from it. In the closing verses, hundreds of years later, in the closing verses of the Old Testament, in the book of Malachi, chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, I'm just going to read verse 5. These are the last verses of the Old Testament. It says, Behold, I'm going to send you, who? I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible 
day of the Lord. John the Baptist comes along at the beginning of the New Testament, starts preaching that Israel needs to repent and the kingdom of heaven is at hand, effectively preaching what Elijah had preached. And people start to wonder, is he Elijah? And they ask Jesus about it, and Jesus says, well, in some ways, he, he's, he's come in the spirit and the power of Elijah. But that's not the end of it. In Luke 9, we read this, this story of the, of the transfiguration. This is where Jesus goes up on the mountain, he takes a couple of his disciples with him, and, he, and they get a glimpse of him in his you know, glorified state. Uh, Luke 9, verse 29, it says, While he was praying... The appearance of his face became different, and his clothing became white and gleaming. And behold, two men were talking with him, and they were Moses and Elijah. And, of course, I love that account because Peter's like, it's good for us to be here. They're like, you think, Peter? And he's like, yeah, we should build an altar for Elijah and Moses. And they're like, no. You missed it. But anyway, but even that is not the end of the story. right? And so this is... Hundreds and hundreds of years after Elijah is taken up in the whirlwind, he appears on this mountain with Jesus. In Revelation 11, uh, we, we learn about these two witnesses that, that preach in Israel during the last days. and uh, These two have the power to bring drought and turn water into blood and bring plagues and even call down fire. That sounds familiar. So Elijah, you notice when I talked about him that he, when he was taken up in the whirlwind, he made his exit. He didn't die. See, Elijah, he was a faithful servant, and I love that he he kept working for the Lord until the moment the Lord took him to heaven. What's even more important, though, is that when Elijah was taken up, the work didn't stop. It didn't end. It was just passed on to another, another who would do even more, right? Because everything in this life is, is temporary. We do everything we can to try to hold on to what is ours. And the reality is you, you only have it for a little while. It's all temporary. It's going to be passed down to someone somehow. There's absolutely, though, there is life beyond the grave, Right? You are going to be alive somewhere for much longer than you're alive here. You're going to be alive somewhere, and just so you know, hell is hot and forever is a long time, right? So it matters where you're going to be. But Elisha was ready to take over for Elijah because he'd walked closely with his master, right? He'd walked with him. He'd seen how he handled things even when it was difficult, and so he was ready to take over. So over the last couple of months, we've been looking at Ahab and Elijah and and their lives and how they've ended effectively. They both left a legacy of some kind. Now, Ahab left behind a son who would rather consult with the devil and die than to hear what God had to say. That's his legacy. Elijah left a legacy with a bunch of prophets in training who'd seen him live out what he, what he preached. They'd seen him carry on the work, and he, and he had someone that he had mentored personally who took over 
and took it even further than he could in his time here. So you're going you're gonna to leave a legacy of some kind. In Matthew 24, verse 42, it says, Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, uh, for this reason you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. So we can get into some end time stuff from that verse. But the reality is, end times or not, you don't know when your hour of being face to face with the Lord is going to be. Your life could end today, in the next moment. And you're going to leave some sort of legacy. If it's not what you want it to be, I recommend you not wait till tomorrow to start trying to change it. And if you're tired and you feel like giving up, I recommend that you push on to the blessing. Elisha could have given up at any point. He kept pushing on, walking with his master to the blessing. I'm going to read you one more scripture and we'll, we'll close. Philippians 3, verse 13 Paul says this, he says, Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul says, look, I know I have not done everything I can do. I'm not, I don't have everything perfect in my life. But one thing I do is I don't dwell in the past. I look forward to what I can do in the future with the time that I have left to be pleasing to my master, to walk closely with my master and push on to the blessing. It can be tempting to, uh, to give up short of the blessing. You know, we... Uh, we, we start these reading plans, right? I'm going to read every day this many verses and chapter. Then before long, you're like, well, I'm going to do this twice a week. And then, well, I'm at least going to mostly pay attention during the sermon on Sunday. <laughs> then, well, maybe I'll just watch it from home then maybe I'll just watch it once in a while. And before long, you're kind of seeking your comfort and your guidance anywhere but from the one source that can provide it. Push on. Push on. It's, the blessing is al almost always found beyond where you feel like giving. Let me pray for you. Jesus, I just thank you so much for preserving your word for us that we can look and see that names and places change, but people don't really change uh, over the course of time. Lord, we, we see that we still have the same 
shortcomings, and the same desires, the same temptations that have faced every person. But Lord, we're so thankful that uh, the same God who took Elijah up in a whirlwind, the same God who empowered Elisha to, to do amazing, miraculous things in your name, is the same God who wants to work miracles in our lives today. Well, I just pray that you would uh, strengthen us, encourage us, give us a new zeal for you. And Lord, we, uh, we just pray that we would live in light of the fact that uh, our eternity with you could start at any moment. For those that don't have a relationship with you, I pray that you'd reveal the truth to them, that, that you made a way for them to spend eternity with you. That if they would trust you for eternal life, you joyfully give it to them. Well, we're thankful that we know that uh, life here on earth is temporary, but we will be alive forever. And we're so thankful that we can be alive forever with you. Well, we just pray that uh, all those here and listening online would come to have that same relationship and assurance. And Lord, may we do great things in your name. We pray you come and come quickly. And all God's people said, amen. Ready? Great.